Mario, thank you, friend. That was beautiful. Hear the word of the Lord as we stand in this room from 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming." If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we are grateful this day for your word. We thank you, Lord, for both your presence among us and your promise to come for us. We thank you, Lord, for your kingdom that is near and the one that we long for to be experienced in the full. Lord, we thank you for the gospel the good news of life because of your grace. We thank you for the word of faith, 
that we preach and that we believe and that we're nourished on. Lord, as we consider this word together, as we listen afresh to it, we pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that are tender, that we receive your word like a seed planted in fertile soil. God, we pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will, that you would make our frame strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. And God, we pray that a word of life and hope would be found on our lips. This is our prayer in the beautiful and strong name of Christ. And we pray together saying, amen and amen. Please be seated. If you live a long time and you've had a good run, people begin to ask you questions about looking back. They'll say, if you had it all to do over again, what would you do differently? A number of years ago, after a number of years of faithful life and ministry, a group of students at Regent College in Vancouver asked that of Gordon Fee. They said, Professor Fee, if you could go back and you could become a young pastor, a young teacher, if you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now, what would you do? They say he thought about it for a moment, and then he looked at them and very slowly said, no matter how long it might take, I would set about with a single passion to help a local body of believers recapture the New Testament church's understanding of itself as an eschatological community. Now that word eschatological might have thrown some of you. You might be thinking, well, here's one I can use at trivia night. That's a big funky word. What, what is that about? It's a word that talks to us about ultimate destiny about the point of it all, about what God's up to, about what God will do. It's a word that speaks to us of a theology of hope, of a godly hope. It's a word that speaks to us about a God of promise and presence. It means we're not alone not in our loneliest moments. It means we're not trapped in a cycle. It means we're headed somewhere. It also means the future has crashed into the present. It's a big word. And you think a big word sometimes might not have much to say about the life that we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, getting groceries and making a living but it's the kind of word that helps us make a life because it speaks to us of God and it speaks to us of ourselves it speaks to us if he said I want to help a group of people live together live together enchanted by the same hope 
because a people like that have joy and toughness, versatility, compassion, grit, and grace. That's what John was doing. When John was writing these Christians in 1 John, he was writing a group of people and he was helping them have a, have a vision of who they were because of godly hope. He was trying to create an eschatological community of people bound together and propelled forward by the promise of Jesus Christ the one who went to the tree, the one who died according to Scripture for our sins, the one that was raised, the one that poured out his spirit on flesh, the one who has promised to come again. That's what John was doing. And for just a few moments this morning, that's what we're going to do again. Because God's word is living and active and sharper than two edges. I think the distillation of this whole little section in 1 John perhaps is verse 28. Where John says to them, and now little children, little children abide in him when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming little children abide in him little children abide in him let's say that one time together little children abide in him now, abide, that's, that, that's sort of a fancy church word, too. We don't use it in common everyday language unless we're big fans of the Big Lebowski. The dude abides. But outside of the Big Lebowski, we don't use abide in everyday street language. But it's a beautiful word. It means to stay close, to remain in relationship. It means to draw near. If we're going to have a gospel of God that speaks not only to our forgiveness and atonement, but also to our great future in God, then we have to nurture this spirit of abiding, abiding in God. And John helped to see some of the ways that we can abide in Christ. And I want to look at those in turn. First, we can abide in him by knowing the time by knowing the time if history is indeed linear if we're headed towards something in God's good future then we need to know what time it is and John told us he said little children it is the last hour faithful Jews divided divided time into two big chunks if you will the present age and the age to come. And because of Christ, there's this lovely wrinkle in that divide 
uh, you have the, the present age and uh, the age of this world. And, and John verse 17, he says, this world is passing away and the lust of it. Th- this present moment, this, this evil age into this, into this world, Christ came. Into this world, Christ came, and and Christ lived for us, Scripture says. We are saved by his life. He died for us, Scripture says. We are saved by his death. He was raised. And in the coming of Christ, you have the coming of the kingdom. It was inaugurated in, in that moment. But even as Jesus was ministering, he was ministering out of the great story of God and he was telling those stories and he was highlighting those scriptures and his first advent to us included teachings about his second. He promised us that we would not be left orphaned, that we would never be alone. He promised the very presence of God would be available to those who responded to his grace. As he was gathering together a people, he promised never to leave his people. So there is the inbreaking of the kingdom that is presently experienced as we abide with Christ. And there is also this wonderful blessed hope. This wonderful blessed hope that he will return and we get a whole new heaven and earth and he reigns over that and we experience his reign without the harassing, painful residue of our own sin and stupidity. Doesn't that sound heavenly? You ever just get sick and tired of being sick and tired of yourself? That's part of one of the great promises of God. That there is coming a day when all of it is put aside. All of it is burned up in His holy grace. And that fiery grace of His is the energy to live in this present moment. We need to know what time it is. And what time it is, is that we're here, and this isn't it. This isn't all there is. He has promised more. From time to time, you'll hear religious people, primarily people for whom the lines have fallen in pleasant places, who say, this this is heaven on earth. Let me burst your bubble. It's not. It's not. That sounds like snot. Because <laughs> that's the kind of theology that is. There is more to come. We need to know what time it is. Because we need hope. And God offers it. <laughs> It's right here for us. And it needs to be in our bone marrow and in our minds. We can abide in him by knowing what time it is. We can abide in him 
by discerning the adversaries. John said, Antichrist is coming, and now there are many Antichrists. Now, there are certain interpretive schemes uh, in eschatology that have people searching out for, for some type of end-time figure. Throughout my life, I've seen many interesting candidates. Reagan was the Antichrist. The Pope is perennially the Antichrist. Gorbachev was the Antichrist. He even had the mark of the beast. I heard someone suggest one time that the World Wide Web, www666, was the Antichrist. Some people get so busy looking for some interesting figure that they're blind to all the Antichrist spirit that sits down at the breakfast table, rides with us to work, comes through our radios, visits us in our newspaper, gossips with us around the water cooler. You know the concept of nose blind? Perhaps you have an exotic animal in your home, like you live with an emu or something, and you just sort of get to being used to that thing. Then you have a neighbor that comes over and it's like, whoo, what is that? I don't know. I believe we're nose blind to Antichrist spirit because we're looking for something exotic. We need to discern the adversaries. And there are two I would point out this morning that I think were a challenge in John's day and certainly are a challenge in ours, and I think they're addressed in this text. One, I would class it as materialism. Now, I don't mean simply greed or avarice although that's part of it. I'm talking about a view of the world that essentially thinks this is what we've got. Now that might not be at the top of your mind. You may, you may even deny that you believe that. But many of us live as if that is the truth. And some articulate it as their conviction. And that tribe is increasing. And there have always been cool kids on the bus that shout, this is all there is. Just be honest about that and have integrity. One of the great antichrist, meaning against Christ or in place of Christ spirits, is the spirit of materialism. Nietzsche said, I beseech you, my brothers, remain faithful to the earth, and do not believe those who speak to you of extraterrestrial hopes. Friend, there's nothing better than extraterrestrial hope. <laughs> and here's the weird thing about that. To deny godly hope does not create a loyalty to the earth. Everywhere that has been tried... There has also been the pillaging of the earth. Everywhere there has been a loss of the sacredness of human life, people become means to an end. Everywhere we can't look into the eyes of a person and see the image of God. Everywhere that's been tried, if that's a nation or in a family, 
everywhere that's been tried, loyalty to the earth has not been the product, but a betrayal of it. When we read the Bible, it's heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. That does not diminish the earth. It makes the earth the property of God. He made it and called it good. And he means to have it back without sin and death and shame. That is the future he has laid up for those who love him and long for his coming. So why would we trade in that grace and that life for a bowl of beans? Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. I have a degree of respect for the Stoics, but I also think they're pitiful. I would hope if they found the bones of Jesus, I would join them and try to do the best I could without hope. But I got to tell you, I don't think I would. I think it comes down to despair or the spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. There's no monkeying around with anything in between. We've lived on this earth far too long for that. So we don't have good advice. We've got good news. And the good news is he is alive. And he's coming for us. He is alive. And he's preparing something for us. Materialism robs us of heaven. And in robbing us of heaven, scorches the earth. Craig Keener says, if all that really matters is matter, then ultimately there isn't anything that really matters. And I believe it with all of my heart. So that's one. Akin to it is the antichrist spirit of individualism that says you are your own. There's, there's no givenness to life. There's no gift to life. We're all free agents. And any attempt at community is just legoing together free agents. Listen how John talked about us. He said, little children. He said, beloved. He says, now we are the children of God. He spoke to us in family language, in communal language. I recently read the work of Gabriel Marcel, French existentialist who was a Christian. When he spoke of hope, he spoke of it in this way. He says, I hope in thee for us. He said, God is in some way the guarantee of the union which holds us together. Myself to myself and one to another. 
I hope in thee for us. What a day of rejoicing it will be when we all, I hope in thee for us. We can abide in him by discerning our adversaries. I'm giving you two examples, but Antichrist is legion. <laughs> You'll find your own. And lastly, we can abide in him by purifying ourselves. Purify himself as he is pure, 3-3. Three, three. Now that language of purity sounds sort of like old sort of hide-bound religious talk. It's a weird word in some ways. But it's really a wonderful gift to be able to experience the purifying grace of God is a remarkable, remarkable gift. Have you ever had a really gross job? Have you ever done a really nasty day of work? Did you resist the shower in the evening? Or was it a gift? My sister-in-law, when she was growing up, her family had peach farms and they had big peach stands and they, they were out on the side of the highway they would sell peaches. And as a teenage girl, she always sold bushels of peaches on the side of the highway. One time they, they contracted with a shrimper and he brought in seafood. And along with peaches, they also sold uh, seafood. Well, the shrimper had a really bad day uh, one day and he was not able to pay the rental part of the thing. And so he bartered with my sister-in-law's father uh, to have pay off his debts in shrimp. And so he brought cooler after cooler after cooler of shrimp and, and gave them over to pay his bill. Now, if you're ever offered a deal like that, <laughs> trust me, you just want to say no. Because his daughter, his daughter got the job of peeling shrimp for the rest of the week now, if you, if you peel about a half a dozen shrimp, you're willing to pay about $35 for that. <laughs> if you peel mountains of shrimp for seven days in a row, probably what happens to you is what happened to my sister-in-law. You never eat another shrimp the rest of your life. She's not allergic. She just hates them. And when she got through, she was telling me, with those shrimp... She just couldn't wait. She just couldn't wait to take a bath. Purifying grace is a gift because life, life is tough. And we are prone to wander. And we're not there yet, but we're heading there. And on the way there, on the way there, we need mechanisms of mercy to cleanse us for the living of these days. This is a wonderful gift of God. Psalm 139, you get a little picture of, of how this works out in experience. Listen to these words, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. The only hope we have for purifying ourselves is to lash ourselves to the Lord that has lashed himself to us. It sounds like it's something we do only on our own, but this is an act of God's mercy and kindness. And in this psalm, we have a picture of how it works. We lay our lives before God and ask him to enter into our deepest places and speak to us of our own lives. And then to lead us day by day, day by day, in the way everlasting. He who has hope in God, let him purify himself. In the future, in God's grace, the gap between where we are and where we could be is overcome by his mercy, the power of his might, and the power of his might. Those things that are divided become whole. Those things that are weak become strong. Those things that are pure are purified even the more. And those things that are chaff are burned up forever. This is God's good future when he brings it all together for us. Douglas Webster said the divine purpose bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth in Christ overcomes the great divorce between our fallenness and our fulfillment. If you're weary of your fallenness, there will be a day of fulfillment. And those of us who hope in God for this we purify ourselves in the moment through his mercy because he's still working on us. And that is good news. So my question for us today is do we hope in God? Do we as a church? Are we a people who are prisoners of hope? Are you an individual a follower of Christ who is a person of hope. If that's you, then are you laying your life before the Lord in a searching and fearless way, asking him to mold and to shape you, to reflect the Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Everybody's a candidate for something with God. We're all a candidate today to take one step further. One step further as we together march to Zion. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you that your gospel speaks, Lord, to your life as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that your gospel speaks to us and the opportunity for conversion that your gospel speaks to the church, that your gospel calls us to compassion, that your gospel promises a day of great consummation. Lord, as we live toward that day, may we experience your cleansing compassion, your refreshment, your renewal, your revival, your life. Give us, Lord, zest 
and zealousness for you and good works. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing as Andy leads us.